We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast, the Thursday edition. I am your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. I can't believe we're already into week three of the NFL season. And, and Mario, before we dive into uh, the big week three slate that we have here, uh, I want to ask you how your uh, fab experience was this week across your leagues. I know that the Rotowire ones haven't run uh, their fab uh, just yet, but you know, with all the giant impactful injuries across the league i mean it feels like uh you know every single league has had a major major shakeup. you know with the mccaffrey injury the the barkley injury Cortland sutton uh the list goes on people you know kind of settling in for the long haul as far as uh michael thomas being being sidelined for the for it seems like for the time being all of that so what were the craziest bids that, that you saw and how did you approach your fab this week well um i'm not that good at fab i'm not good at managing things like that and I, like I'm at my best I would say during the off season and when it's kind of more like 
interpreting ADP and kind of figuring out who the players are and whether their prices make sense. But when it comes to like that snapshot in the moment judgment, I make Andy Reid look like the most like <laughs> well-reasoned, prescient man maybe ever to live. And so uh, I ended up bidding $123 of my $999 budget in my NFFC league on KJ Hamler. And no one else bid a dollar on him because, <laughs> you know, I, I should have known that would happen. Um, but, yeah, it was it was one of those things like I, I still in in my like infantile uh, stubbornness. I'm like, no, they're the ones who are wrong. I was smart to bid one hundred and twenty three dollars on KJ Hamler because um, it was largely like the upside chasing. And I know that KJ Hamler has a low floor. Like he just turned twenty one recently. He's a smaller receiver, so he's definitely not going to be like. Uh, you know, 12 target kind of guy in the quarterback stinking Denver too. That doesn't really help. True. Um, however, I feel like he's the best candidate for those kind of like no hope who cares. Rex Grossman kind of chucks downfield. And, um, I'm, I'm a little lower on Judy than most people. I'm, I'm, I'm coming around on Fant. I, I, I still think getting some Robert Woods targets, i.e. like they're not real targets. They're just kind of schemed open for him. Uh, and I don't know whether he can do more than that, but Hamler is a guy who I'm just really high on, and, and I think he can kind of be uh, like best case scenario. He really might be a Tyree Kill kind of receiver. Like he just has that sort of like soul stealing speed that that really makes defensive defensive backs uh, trip over themselves at times. And he, he already showed pretty well in that first 48 snaps or whatever he had. But yeah, I was chasing the upside because it was like, man, Cortland Sutton was drawing so much. Uh, targets so much air yardage in that Denver offense and now he's just gone and if Jerry Judy isn't like a 130 target player now then KJ Hamler has to do something or at least like the the upside that he carries in this scenario is considerable and I didn't really expect to get a better shot at it at that kind of wide receiver upside where incidentally I needed a little help because I have all of uh, AJ Brown, Jalen Rager, and Sterling Shepard so I kind of needed you know a, a home run swing at receiver made more sense for me than maybe the other teams, but man, not even a, no one even bid a dollar on the guy who just had seven targets and 48 snaps or whatever in his first NFL game and, and probably runs like a four, three, three, something like that really productive at Penn state. So, um, I took the shot on Hamler and otherwise I was, I was reasonable. Like I, I think I bid like 140 on Keelan Cole. And I think the runner up was like 100. Uh, I think it was $93 that I bid on Mo Alley Cox, which that's just an instance of me probably being objectively irresponsible because I already have Darren Waller and obviously I'm not benching him. Sure. I also have Dallas Goddard on my bench, but I, I still was like, I can't let these guys get Mo sure. for like five bucks or whatever that he's, he's, I believe in Mo Ali Cox. So I bid 93 on him and I think I was only uh, like $40 uh, over the, the runner up in that one's case. Uh, but somebody bid like um, 300 something on Dion Lewis and I think 800 out of a thousand on Mike Davis. Goo. <laughs> the the Davis like Davis at least makes a little bit of sense to go heavy on the fab. Not that much because uh, McCaffrey's not, not much. out for the season. Um, right. But but I did. like if, if McCaffrey's on IR season ending. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking 800, but probably not even then. No. So yeah, the 
that is, that's a bit extreme. And then um, obviously with those Giants running backs, um, I don't even know if, if Devontae Freeman uh, got – he might have gotten preemptively scooped or might have already been on somebody's Someone roster. That's drafted why drafted him in my league, yeah, and they never cut him. Okay, so that, that makes more sense. But in, in my NFFC, um, Wayne Gallman went for uh, north of 350. <laughs> um, Deion Lewis uh, next behind him in, as far as the highest bid of the week at, at 273. Um, and both of those overshot the room by 300 exactly in, in Wayne Gallman's case um so uh, like, is he even going to be on the roster in I, a month he's, he's so bad he's not good and then um Dion Lewis um well over $200 over the next uh highest bid uh put out there so uh whoops elite uh, like like you were saying there, I'm not the sharpest fab guy in the world, but at least I didn't uh, dump th- like a third of my fab budget on Wayne Gallman when when no one else even ponied up seven um, percent. Um, so feel a little bit better about myself there. And interesting kind of like random number bid on Mo Ali Cox. I did eighty seven dollars um, as opposed to ninety three, and I was able to to get him uh, at a little bit of tight end depth. I have Austin Hooper, but. Um, he hasn't been used as much in the passing game as, as maybe we were expecting just yet. But that was that was the extent of the the Fabapalooza, at least in in my NFFC. We'll, we'll see how these rotowire ones uh, shake out. Uh, those run later on you know, Thursday. For someone who still has a late Fab or whatever, I would much rather just put one dollar or zero dollars on Reggie Bonifon than a billion on Mike Davis. Like there's someone else has to play there, and Davis we know is not McCaffrey, so. Uh, why not? Why not take the guy, basically free, and 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 wait and see. You know, maybe Mike Davis was a free agent and a healthy scratch last year for a reason. After all, mm-hmm. that's a, that is a really good point there. A nice little hedge. Um, all right, so let's move on over. We got the Thursday night game here. Um, one that's actually kind of interesting, especially with the way that the Jaguars have opened up the season. Um, it feels like they're that team that's going to be in every single matchup, whether they win or lose. But this is one of those matchups where it seems like they, they should have the advantage and be able to get uh, the W here. Three-point favorites over the Dolphins. Uh, looks like the Dolphins who got carved up last week by Josh Allen um, could be a little bit shorthanded in the in the secondary uh, with Byron Jones dealing with an injury did not practice on Wednesday that does not bode well what part of the field uh, does he cover and you know how does that change things as far as um, this Jaguars packing order is concerned because on the other side of that maybe they aren't able to take advantage of it the way that we would like uh, because DJ Chark has been dealing with with that chest issue uh, so who's the one that, that gets the greenest of the green light going up against this Dolphins secondary uh, on Thursday night? Well, Byron Jones is just outside, and he might have been like a shadow corner for whoever they determined was the number one outside receiver of the opponent. Xavier uh, Howard, though, they're still paying like $13 million a year. It seems like he's just not very good. Like His results have been bad for the past two years, and I think it, it might be a case in hindsight where he established this reputation as like a top corner only because he had a handful of good games. Maybe he was on a you know visible matchup that day. Maybe it was nationally televised and he had a big game or something. And sometimes narratives just stick after that. But Howard has been bad. So I feel like whoever's running against him, it would probably be Chark, Conley, uh, LaVisca Chenault primarily. It all looks good. I mean, given, given how Howard's played the past year and a half, I, I, I have to call that like a good matchup for pretty much anyone who's running against him. And Byron Jones would have been a slight concern for whoever's running against him. But with him out, they're turning to Nick Needham, who 
I think was the one who ran something like a four seven at a UTEP or UNLV pro day. I can't remember which one of those U, you know, mountain range schools you, that you don't want to draft your players from. Uh, he played for, but he was slow there, and he had a kind of like good two games last year when he was playing uh, against some slow receivers, and then he get went against somebody who ran like a four six or whatever and got completely blasted. And now he's back on the field, and the Dolphins kind of just need to give him snaps, even though he can't run with any of these Jaguars receivers. Like Keelan Cole could probably dust um, Nick Needham in a race. Certainly, Chris Conley can run right past him like that that, that's the kind of speed mismatch that's just like if you're the quarterback you throw it right after the snap because you know that corner can't get there uh i think that chark would project well against any of these guys including the slot corner or i i guess i didn't check uh whether he stayed in the slot after the byron jones injury but they were plant the the dolphins were planning on using noah igbinagin as the slot corner and then howard and jones as the outside corners uh they might have put needham in the slot just because he's such a speed uh, liability, I'm not sure. Igbinagin can run, um, but he hasn't been playing corner that long, so he's kind of at a disadvantage. Yeah, especially he's, been, he's, he's been picked on so far. If, especially if he's going against a really refined route runner like Keelan Cole, and, and Chark probably is one of those guys too. So it's it's only difficult matchup-wise, you know, on paper-wise, it's only difficult to tell which Jaguars receiver to target because it's so easy to imagine all of them being the right answer. And I, I don't really know how you narrow it down. I mean, I think Chark is easily the best receiver on that team. I know he's had concerning target volume to this point, but I think that's just because defenses respect him. And now they're kind of reprocessing things as they, they see this new look from the Jaguars where it's not Conley and Westbrook out there next to Chark. It's uh, Keelan Cole and LaVisca Chenault for the most part. And teams are kind of learning, oh, Keelan Cole is a threat and he's, he's a really good slot receiver. And now we need to worry about that. We thought we just had to worry about Chark. And uh, so I think you'll see defenses kind of slip up against Chark and, and give up more targets going forward than they did in the first two weeks. And I don't know what to make of his injury, but if he can play in this one, I don't think any of these guys can run with him, even if he's only like 80% healthy. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. So I, I think, I think you know, assuming we'll love to see how the um, injury report goes on Thursday or the inactives or whatever. But if if uh, Chark is in there, then uh, this this should be a really really big game for him. I mean, just looking at uh, over on the Rotowire player page, a, a kind of color coded breakdown of what the Dolphins secondary looks like. Um, everyone is in the red as far as uh, the quarterback rating against. So that that is a sign that all of them are getting toasted other than Byron Jones. So no yeah. Byron Jones back there is going to be uh, killer uh, for the Dolphins, I think. Yeah, sometimes those matchup numbers are a little misleading and, and basically like busted. But in this case, we have pretty reliable attribution to the defensive backs because Brian Flores is trying to do the same thing that the Patriots do with just really aggressive man coverage. So sometimes those stats get attributed and it's, it's basically wrong because it's like, Oh, well this guy was supposed to do the zone handoff and it looks like he got beat, but it's actually just because he was covering somebody else's ass that he was even there in the first place. But these guys are all getting beat every time it gets marked that way. And if Flores keeps calling that man coverage the way he has, then all these guys are getting open and it's basically a question of how much time Minshew has to throw where he's 
throwing from where he's facing in his reads it's like that's the stuff that's going to determine it because basically everybody's going to be open yes I, I think so too and then quickly on the Dolphins side of this obviously Mike Gesicki coming off the the big game uh, we're still kind of waiting for it from the from the receiving core uh, be it Preston Williams uh, or Devontae Parker and then um Miles Gaskin, of course, one of the bigger early early season surprises here across the league. So uh, what is your take here on this Miami offense and, and how they can uh, match up against uh, the Jags on Thursday? Well, I, I also love James Robinson for the Jaguars. And I guess the question of Minshew's volume might be subject to how successful Fitzpatrick is on the other side. Because if Miami can't move the ball, I don't know why Jacksonville would try to air it out or anything. And on a short week, quarterbacks can s- struggle generally a little more easy more easily than they do in the weekend. So I'm a little concerned about Fitzpatrick, but on the other hand, uh, aside from CJ Henderson and I don't know, I guess miles Jack might be doing better this year. I don't know. Uh, doesn't seem like there's anybody who can really cover on that Jaguars defense, at least not in a way that you would worry about. So, uh, unless Josh Allen, the pass rusher and, and Josh Allen, the pass rusher can hurt Fitzpatrick in this game. Like that, that offensive line for Miami is really bad still. And uh, Allen is very good. So I could imagine Miami falling apart. I personally am not chasing any other running backs. If I did, it would pro- I mean, it, it maybe Brita in a showdown kind of thing and, and DraftKings, I guess, because he's cheap and everyone's sick of him. Uh, I, would, I don't think like Gaskin, I don't think Gaskin's the right guy to chase. I just I don't believe any of it. I don't trust any of it. Um, Preston Williams should see less of C.J. Henderson than Devontae uh, Parker or so I would assume. Um and uh, I guess I, I didn't check whether Henderson was shadowing or if it's a left-right deal between him and Trey Herndon. But we want the receiver who's running against Herndon, whoever that is. And Preston Williams is getting a decent target volume, at least. I know it hasn't been there yet. But in this kind of game, if he's going against Herndon and if Henderson's putting the lockdown on Parker, uh, maybe there's a bit of a funnel toward Williams. But generally, it looks like Gasicki and maybe Isaiah Ford are kind of the best bets for reliable targets plus the ability to actually capitalize because there is the chance that Preston is still a little goofy working back from the ACL or something. <sighs> I, I might, you know, just just uh, looking at, at my NFFC roster, I think I might, <laughs> for better or for worse, have more action in this game uh, than, you know, basically any other Thursday night game that I, that I can remember. So I might have Minshew going. I might have Minshew and James Robinson going. I might have Preston Williams have, have to be in there I because I know Michael Thomas. But I, I don't know if I can start him over, over McKinnon because McKinnon's got a really good matchup too. Oh, it's going to be. I mean, I would go with Robinson, but I'm also a Robinson truther, whereas I'm, I'm not a McKinnon truther. That, I'm biased. That, that's totally fair. I just think, uh, the Giants are, are trash, but also the Dolphins are trash. So it, it's uh, I'll have to like get get out of my like DFS logic for for this one, and you know not not be as concerned with having a running back and quarterback from the same team on my roster or on my starting lineup uh, to be more specific. Um, let's move on over to uh, the Sunday or the Sunday slate here. Leading things off, we got the Bears going up against the Falcons. Falcons three-point favorites in this matchup. I think it was a little bit higher earlier on in the week. Um, it uh, ballooned to the Falcons three and a half at one point, but now it's settled back into three. Um, what do you make of this one? I think it's a, it's a weird matchup. Obviously, we know through two weeks one of the one of the certainties that we have is that you can score on the on the Falcons, but at the same time, uh, the Falcons have gone against the Seahawks and the Cowboys. Uh, Mitch Trubisky is neither Russell Wilson nor Dak Prescott. So, 
are the Bears going to be able to take advantage of this Falcons defense whatsoever here in Atlanta? They should be able to. It's If it doesn't happen, I guess it's just because Mitch had one of his days. And if he does that, then what could, what could you have really foreseen exactly? It's like, you know, Mitch is capable of failing against anyone, but it, it feels a little crude and, and I don't know, uh, harsh to, to just assume he'll pull something like that. So I, I kind of err toward, well, he should be fine. And, and you know, matchup-wise, it all looks good. I, I would guess that... Um, I would guess that the Bears' defense basically doesn't stop, doesn't slow down the Falcons, and as long as the Falcons and Matt Ryan can keep the ball moving quickly, keep a sense of urgency on the on the Bears' offense, then everybody might come out looking pretty good. Certainly, Allen Robinson looks like he's. I, I mean, this has to be a good spot for him to get back on track after yep. last week. He had a really good matchup; it just didn't really happen. Uh, Darnell Mooney has been kind of stepping on uh, Anthony Miller's shareholders and. Uh, I think that's going to continue because Mooney is good, and uh, I guess Ted Ginn they can phase out and maybe leave enough room for Miller and Mooney, but in that case they'd need to uh, subtract Javon Wims, and they're for some reason forcing him on the field too. So it's hard to find that second pass catcher beyond like a you know just roulette kind of approach to it because Miller and, and Mooney are both good candidates. I don't think Wims is a good candidate, but Miller and Mooney are both good, and yet they're kind of splitting like 50 snaps a game right now, so I don't know what to do with that. Uh, David Montgomery looks good. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say start Jimmy Graham, but I guess it's a good enough spot for him on, on some sense or another. So when it comes to Robinson, he has one of the more interesting, like advanced uh, and expected stat lines versus what's, you know, actually been in the box score, what's been actionable uh, for fantasy purposes. Um, so he's seen 18 targets thus far, caught eight of them for 107. Um, really, really high on the air yardage across the league. He's, um, I think, in, within the top 10, he's got 239 air yards thus far through, through those two games. But again, the, the catch rate checking in at 44, um, it just feels like this is a spot where the the yard the air yardage and we'll get into this with AJ Green as well but it's it's a different case with, with him because he he leads the league in air yards um, but different stage of his career different circumstances to to be sure um, but when it comes to Robinson are you more likely to expect like a, a major major bounce back um, here or is this um, these first two weeks a little bit concerning for you I'm not concerned any more than the way I've always been concerned, which is the quarterback play. Sure. But Robinson, even even if he has really bad quarterback play, like, like these numbers don't look sustainable to me, like even with bad quarterback play each of the last two years. And, of course, in Jacksonville, Robinson is not subjected to stretches like these for very long. Like he snaps out of it. He did have a 16-game stretch in 2016 kind of like this. Uh, but that, that seems improbable to me to, to again have that kind of outcome i think that was a once in a career kind of bad luck sort of deal yeah. so with two weeks of, of intense usage but minimal results and a bad defense basically coming up here and pertinently an opposing offense that cannot run can only throw and tends to throw very well this has to be a bounce back game for robinson okay I, i'm buying that as well um let's see um let's get into on the other side of that, Calvin Ridley has been just incredible to, to start this season. I mean, he's second in the league in, in air yardage, um, and he's got you know 16 grabs on 22 targets for 239 yards um just been ri- ridiculous thus far just been automatic so it looks like you know he broke out almost 
as a rookie and then because he was an older older rookie at age 23 and then uh, continued last year um, but now it feels like he could be a legitimate like top 10 uh, receiver the rest of the way and, and maybe even push push further so what do you think of Ridley and the rest of this Atlanta passing game right now well Julio his situation uh, is is maybe like the most important thing and I don't I don't know what to call it like at this point in the week like we know we've seen him go Wednesday Thursday no practice and then limited on Friday and then he plays Sunday as a you know quote game time decision that's happened more with him than I, I have to assume anyone else going back in whatever sample you'd like so we can't really assume that he's out just because he hasn't practiced with a hamstring thing as of uh, third as of yesterday certainly and I don't, I don't know what the word is today yet but if Julio's out then I mean you can't really expect more of Ridley because he's already been kind of like max returns I feel like um, so I'm not really chasing that I, I do think that could hurt the offense to the point though that it, it might actually hurt Ridley because I just don't believe in Russell Gage and I know uh, that might just be me being stubborn and, and, and not uh, taking him seriously enough but when I look at his peripherals I don't see them as sustainable and if Julio is not on the field I'm sorry that guy is not getting open uh, he, he gets the usage that he does because the defense can't afford to care about him. And if Julio's off the field, then all of a sudden, oh, this this guy is, is probably easy to cover, Gage, I'm speaking of. So I could imagine Matt Ryan struggling to the point that they get kind of fewer first downs and fewer subsequent target snap opportunities that have been going to Ridley's benefit to this point, to Gage's benefit to this point. So Julio being active is important for me. Okay. Um, but with that said, Ridley is not a, a product of this system. It's like he's just in a situation right now where everything is working perfectly because Julio uh, does help him get those extra first downs. Like the offense is overall more healthy because of him. And then Ridley is on his own part. Uh, you know, just killing everybody. So if the if the offense's overall health takes a hit, I still think Ridley will do his part. It's just I, I think he goes from the perfect best case scenario to one that you know might be vaguely challenging. I see, I see. Um, so hopefully Julio is active and this uh, Atlanta passing game can continue to be just money for for fantasy purposes. Um, and I think that. The, the Falcons are pretty much going to be able to throw on anybody, especially if Julio's out there. So even if the Bears have, have that good so secondary, have no real choice, right? Yeah, that no run game to, to speak of whatsoever. Really, um, let's move on over. We got the Bills going up against the Rams. Interesting start to the season for both of these teams. The Bills really yeah. kind of had to pull it out of the fire last week, and then the Rams. I've been, I was definitely surprised in Week One. I, I paid attention to the line movement where um, that it shifted from like the Cowboys being three point favorites to uh, the Rams being favored at home to open that one. So I ended up switching my pick on that one on that Sunday and, you know, saw the Rams get the win there, of course. Um, But I didn't know what to make of them last week going across the country against Philadelphia, Philadelphia coming off that brutal uh, week one loss to Washington, but Rams seem to be doing well. And I know this is another situation where they're going to be going across the country. And that, that's definitely not ideal uh, doing that two times in a row. Uh, I forget what their travel arrangements was, uh, if they were like staying at the Greenbrier or something. Um, and then on, on the bill side, dominated the first week. And then re- really, again, like I said, had to pull it out of the fire in week two down in Miami. Um, this one sets up as the Bills two and a half point favorites. Uh, where are you with this matchup? Well, it's pretty interesting as a matchup, and 
for all, for all the stuff that you said, certainly. But for me, what I'm fixating on here is definitely the quarterbacks because uh, I guess Goff has made some legitimately good throws, and Allen, Josh Allen, has certainly made some legitimately good throws. But I think both of them have had it very easy so far. I think in the case of the Jets in week one for Josh Allen, like that's, that's just a defense that he's supposed to beat. The bills offense is built to, to beat a defense like that one. And, and the jets just weren't really in a position to counter in any realistic way. Like their outside corners can't run with the outside receivers, Stefan Diggs and John Brown. So they should be as open as, as they're going to be in any other given game. And if his receivers are as open as they're going to be, Josh Allen has kind of a heightened expectation of, of production and if he doesn't meet it that's a red flag so I don't actually view these first two games of Allen the Jets and then the Dolphins without Byron Jones that that circus that they turned into I don't actually consider this anything new I don't consider this necessarily development on the part of Allen but a lot of you know it's, it's possible that it is it's I, like he could have turned a corner I just don't think that there's any proof of it and what's what's occurred to this point if he has a big game against the Rams then I will have to seriously reconsider things because Stephon Diggs is going to get Jalen Ramsey. And Stephon Diggs getting open against Jalen Ramsey is a very different question than him getting open against Bleshwan Austin <laughs> or uh, Nate Hairston or whoever the Jets had. And then last week, Xavier Howard and Nick Needham and, and uh, Noah Beanagin. Jalen Ramsey and, and that shadow system that they're using with him and this new scheme that they've got, it's working so far. It's definitely suiting him. And the other two Rams corners, Darius Williams and Troy Hill, are, are looking pretty good, too. Now, Darius Williams missed practice Wednesday. I don't know if he's going to be out for this one. If he's out, that does hurt them. Uh, I don't know who he, – he, he's weird. He's 5'9", 190 out of UAB. And they had him playing outside to this point after he was more so playing slot last year. And Troy Hill playing outside last year is now playing the slot, which is kind of weird because Troy Hill's the, the bigger of the two. But um, if that persists here – then it would be Hill mostly against uh, Cole Beasley, leaving John Brown against Darius Williams. And I, I think Darius Williams, if he's playing, is a good corner. Like he, he seems pretty pretty good. But if he's out, then that's a big green light for, for John Brown. And uh, in that case, I would like his matchup quite a bit. But it's also one of those things, too, where it's like, you know, John Brown is not the easy one to hit out of Stefan Diggs himself and... Cole Beasley like that's even if John Brown is open it still requires Josh Allen to make the throw right sure and it might not be quite like it was the last two weeks where every throw that he's getting is super well scripted for him off these play action passes where the defense bites hard and then the guys in coverage aren't good in the first place and and the, the receivers just you know it, it, there may as well be like blinking signs on the field for Allen, like throw it here in three, <laughs> two, one. Like everything is super easy T-ball for him in those first two games. And even if Darius Williams is out and even if John Brown is getting open against whoever's left over, I still think it's going to be a much dif- more difficult test for Josh Allen. And uh, the pass rush for the Rams could have a lot to do with that if that turns out to be the case, because obviously Aaron Donald has has a way of ruining things for offenses. So um, if Allen has a big game here, I will kind of be a little surprised. I think he's going to look more like week one, where he still probably has a lot of usage because the, the Rams are up tempo and the, the offense 
both pass and run are channeled through Allen right now. But I think it'll look more like the Jets game where it's like he's completing, you know, 66% of his passes for 6.8 yards and less like last week against the Dolphins when he and this this basically never happens with Allen, but he had both high completion percentage and high yardage per attempt. And usually you see him just have uh, like if he has volume, it's usually because he's just throwing so many passes and, you know, running the ball so much. It's not common for Allen to have a game like last week, and so I, I don't really expect it going forward. Yeah, the, this Rams secondary, a, a lot different than, than what was going on with, with Miami and the Jets. Um, on the other side, we mentioned Allen may, maybe or maybe not turning a corner. Another guy who I'm interested to hear your, your take on one way or the other, but with, with Cam Akers being dinged up with the ribs and Malcolm Brown suffering that pinky injury, uh, Darrell Henderson looked really, really, you know, solid last week. It feels like the first time on a Sunday, you know, 12 carries for 81 and a score and a couple of catches uh, for 40 yards. Is he starting to turn a corner? Is he going to end up being the answer potentially in that Rams backfield? Well, I think he can be one of several answers. I I really do believe in Daryl Henderson, and I think he's a good player. I def I feel like last week was so overdue. Uh, I started to lose the faith a little bit. Me too. Last week was exactly the kind of player that I thought he would be. So I am optimistic that he can keep up his part. But I still think Malcolm Brown and Cam Akers can play too. So uh, I mean, if they're if they're out or limited, then yeah, I like I like Daryl Henderson. Fair enough, but I, I also can see them doing a hot hand thing or a matchup sort of fluctuation week to week, situation to situation. So I'm not really getting my hopes up for like a you know, I, I'm not getting my hopes up for a Memphis a classic Memphis season for, from Daryl Henderson here. But you know he he should be able to keep making the plays that he made last week. The question is whether this is the sort of defense that'll let him do it. And and the case of Goff, um, and like I know I come across as a as a Josh Allen hater. Uh, I don't really hate him. I hate the media that and some of his more obnoxious proponents in in the internet and in media who who have have made him this uh, savior avatar of theirs. I think that's obnoxious. <laughs> but I have to say I would be much more surprised if Jared Goff became a legitimately good quarterback than I would if Josh Allen did because at least with Allen you've got like the tools that you can leverage. You know, like even if the skills are rough. If you can chuck the ball anywhere on the field at a maximum velocity, and if you can run these credible rushing threats from from these various looks, like that's a lot to work with. You can do something with that. With yeah. Goff, I think he needs the Sean McVay bag of tricks, and if it's not there, and if he doesn't have a nice clean pocket and a nice low level stress to play, yeah, he's like a seven time. on seven all star. Yeah, totally, and like he he can just completely fall apart, and I, I know. Like, like you look at that Dallas game especially, and those that entire first drive was just these like, you know, fancy handoffs to Robert Woods that the defense was just like, what the hell? We've never even so much as seen a play design like this. We don't know where Robert Woods is. Like that's that's the kind of plays that Goff always has to his benefit until he doesn't, and then things can get really rough. And going on the road to Buffalo, I mean, granted. I don't want to like say Sean McVay will lose a battle of of wits or strategy or whatever, but I also don't think Sean McDermott is the type of coach to get surprised or out out you know strategized or whatever. So being in Buffalo and with it looking like Tremaine uh, Edmonds and Matt Milano are back at linebacker, I I kind of have to take the Bills side here because I just don't know if McVay's bag of tricks translates to a context like this one as as well as it did the first two weeks and um 
yeah, it, a lot of that's just respect to McDermott and, and guys like Ed Oliver, the linebackers, Tredavious White. I, I feel like this is a really bad spot for Goff. And if the Rams win, it's basically because Josh Allen melted down in a similar way to, to Goff. And maybe the gap got made up by, uh, you know, maybe maybe the Rams got their, their victory margin just because, I don't even know, uh, I get, I get like, turnover field position kind of stuff i I just don't really see an obvious matchup uh uh, where they have the advantage because um what about levi wallace sorry what's that what about levi wallace being a potential weak link that they attack Um, yeah i mean i know uh the van jefferson pick a lot but i I think van jefferson could get open vertically on, on levi wallace the tough thing there is it's McDermott knows Wallace can't cover deep and he's got Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer so well coached such perfect perfect fits for the scheme the concepts that they use and then then just brilliantly coached on top of it they 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 really have they know where their weaknesses are and they've accounted for it as much as it's like your only hope to throw the ball on Wallace it's like they know that that's your only hope and they're waiting for you so it's it's you know, McVeigh might come up with something, but he needs to. Like he he needs he needs some tricks in this one to keep Goff from looking like the player he actually is. Okay, yeah, because because like you said, uh, we've seen in several different instances across the the first few years of Goff's career where uh, when when it's on him to win it or, or he's going up against a tough matchup. Uh, he has folded in the past, um, but the Rams have kind of made me eat my words the first two weeks of the season. This is a, this is of course a, a different test here going to get uh, going up against the bills. Uh, should be a really good game. Actually. I, I was not expecting this to be one of the better games of the week. If you showed me this slate uh, before the season started, but I'm excited for this one. I think it's one of the better ones of the, of the early window on Sunday. I, I will take the bills in this one as well. Let's move on. Uh, let's get into the Washington football team going up against the Browns. Browns, seven-point favorites. I can't trust the Browns covering more than a touchdown, no. so so I'm out on that. Um, I think that the Browns have done a good job as far as addressing its pass protection concerns, and, and some of that is the offensive line getting a lot better, and I think also uh, the run game helps, th- helps things a fair bit as well. They have such a good run game. Um, how do they match up here against the football team, and then how does the football team keep this one close? Because it looks like their offense is going to be clunky. So the line opened at five and a half. It's up to seven, and that's with the majority of the public being on Washington. So I guess uh, it's worth keeping in mind the sharp money appears to be on the Browns because it's propelling the line higher, even as most bets go on Washington. I I guess this is kind of similar to the setup of the, the Bengals game where Cleveland can run the ball, and if they're running the ball and if they, they have you know the script going such that they can do these kind of low pressure, low urgency bootleg play action plays with Mayfield where the, you know, the one that they got Odell Beckham on uh, against the Bengals. If they can set up that play, then I guess I, I would say Mayfield can make throws like that pretty well. But if he's just got to stare down straight up pressure with, with uh, you know, not having the play action and, and without the, the threat of the run kind of, you know, both giving him better, down and distant situations and and kind of making the defense respect that run if that's not there i could imagine him imploding pretty easily because like i know washington is a joke and they've got these various dysfunctions about him but it, it's more to do with like their offensive line i think and i i know the defense any defense if you leave it on the field long enough against the right conditions they'll kind of just wither and, and lose their essence over the course of a game 
But if the script goes such that Washington is in a position to apply the pressure that they absolutely can, then they can kind of make their own runaway situation where uh, if you if you fall behind on this Washington team, that's a pretty dangerous spot to be in. And I know it's kind of hard to do it, but I don't know if it's that hard for a team like Cleveland. And, you know, Terry McLaurin, if they don't if they don't shadow him with Denzel Ward, I think McLaurin would dust Greedy Williams all day. And, and uh, if they don't have Greedy Williams back, then whatever, Terrence Mitchell, whoever it is. Uh, so I feel like Washington has a couple ways to move the ball on offense. And granted, Miles Garrett versus that offensive line, which is now down Brandon Scherf, the only NFL caliber player on the line in the first place. Uh-oh. That could go pretty bad. And not just, not just Miles Garrett. I mean, Sheldon Richardson has been nuts. Sheldon Richardson has always been a very good player, and he's he's really making some plays right now. Larry Young and Joby can play pretty good. So there's definitely ways for that line to collapse from every angle, and maybe that's exactly what will happen. But if it doesn't, McLaurin can get open. Uh, I think Sims can get open here. It's th- There's a way that they can move the ball, but I guess – what seems more likely, you know, given given the money coming in, is that um, Haskins just can't get anything going against that Cleveland pass rush. The fact that the rest of the Cleveland defense is not good won't really matter, kind of the way that the fact that the Washington defense being bad aside from its pass rush didn't matter in week one when the pass rush was popping off like it did. So it should be a fine setup for Chubb and Hunt. And with, with, the, with the passing usage so dependent on Odell Beckham, you like him in basically every game going forward, I think. And uh, I'm not certainly not concerned about the coverage. There's no one who can cover him in that Washington defense. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not getting my hopes up for Hooper because apparently to Kevin Stefanski, he's just Jason Dunn or uh, some, whatever other blocking tight end. He's a Luke. You, you got to sign Austin Hooper to the biggest contract among tight ends and then use him like Luke Stalker. You have to do it. That's right. And Kevin Stefanski knows that. <laughs> well, I, one last um, detail on this one before we move on to the next game. Is Antonio Gibson happening? I think he looks good. I mean, there's we we, we shouldn't we shouldn't have uh, like you just have to have reasonable expectations for a guy like that. Like it's it's fair to be disappointed and hope that he had done more to this point than what he has, but you can't really let it alter your evaluation of him. Like we knew this was within the range of possibilities, and so for me, nothing's really changed. The upside is still very much in my mind, and I'm, I'm basically convinced he has the talent. It's just a question of when Washington cuts him loose and when he starts to kind of have his skill set and, and you know timing at the NFL level catch up to his raw abilities, uh, how, how soon they can develop him. And I think it's unfortunately one of those things where you won't get any notice before it happens. Like You just have to deal with the annoying frustration that comes before the breakout, and when the breakout happens, it won't be because there was this nice big rollout announcement to tip you off to it. It's just it's going to happen eventually, and it could happen in a game like this. It might not, but it could. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I like I like Gibson quite a bit. I, th- I think it's going to happen soonish. I, I it could be in this game, but also I wouldn't blame anyone for leaving him on their bench. Yeah, the, I I just worry about the Browns just suffocating that this Washington offensive line and and run the run game kind of having to go by the wayside as a result um so even though I said I don't trust the the Browns with seven points I think you laid out a pretty good case here for where the Washington offense kind of fails to get off the ground and and that's definitely a concern Uh, let's move on over to the Titans going up against the Vikings 
am I taking crazy pills or like, am I like the biggest Titans super fan in the world? I don't, I don't get how they are only two and a half point favorites. I guess that, you know, with it being on the road and everything, but, um, you know, I, I, I slightly cautioned against them in survivor last week, but it, because I, that was more just, I didn't think the Jaguars were getting the proper respect as, as like 10 point dogs or whatever it was to the Titans. But I, I think the Titans can roll the Vikings. I, am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy. I think it's just more that the Titans are, are not at full strength. Like AJ Brown being out is a big deal. And with AJ Brown out and Derrick Henry not being a pass catching threat, that probably leaves Eric Kendricks free to spy Jonu Smith. And if Jonu Smith isn't making those big plays after the catch that he has the past couple weeks on very low target volume, then all of a sudden the Titans offense has a very different complexion. Like that might have been the difference between them struggling and them doing what they've done over the last two weeks. And I don't think Kendricks will let Jonu Smith do that kind of stuff. Uh, and I, I like Jonu Smith a lot, but it's like I, I think he needs to be running downfield in this game and, and, and maybe more so like attacking the safeties. And he didn't practice Wednesday, so he might be less than 100% here. Right, and I like Anthony Ferkser too, but um, I, I just don't know if they're going to put... like Johnny should be out there, I think. I, I guess I'd be pretty surprised if he missed this game. Sure. And granted, I haven't looked in a couple days. I, I just would be surprised if something... I guess that's how the A.J. Brown thing snuck up on me too. Uh, but if A.J. Brown is out, which he is, and if Johnny Smith can't beat Eric Kendricks then we're down to Tannehill actually beating the, the coverage, which maybe he can, but his success to this point has been in the conditions of Derrick Henry being the basis of the offense, Jonu Smith giving him a lot after the catch uh, as, as just a check down guy. And now there's no check down that's going to create like Jonu. If, if Jonu can't, then there's no check down creation, and you're, you need Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys, and uh, who's the other one? Uh, somebody. Cleve to, Raymond. Yeah, he didn't play last week, though, so I think that it might have been like Hollister or something stupid like that. Um, but, uh, like, that's that's just a little different. It's a little scarier of a question because it's like it's one thing to believe in Tannehill and in the, in the offense as it's designed, as it's supposed to work. But when it has everybody, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the offense isn't that anymore. So he could kind of just have an off game. Uh, Daniil Hunter is still out, though, so that Minnesota defense, to be clear, is not frightening. Right. It do you take... It would take Tannehill basically goofing it. Do you think that with with all those factors in mind that this this becomes the Derrick Henry game and they just they basically run him and and really really try to hide Tannehill in this one if if they you know have bracketed coverage on, on Johnny Smith and no AJ Brown to to turn to they just say f it we're running it and just go Derrick Henry for thirty carries. I think they'll try that, but honestly, I'm not even sure it's the right idea because. I think you want to get some points on the Vikings. I don't think you want to end up in just dueling running backs because you can lose going against Dalvin Cook that way. But like the other thing is, too, Derrick Henry really will be better later in the year because it really does hurt like hell to play football in the cold. And right now, he just he does not inflict as much trauma on the people tackling him as he will when the temperature drops. So that thing about him breaking out in November every year I think there's signal to that. So I'm not even expecting, you know, the, the Derrick Henry that we tend to think of at that point of the year. It's like no more at this point. He's kind of like the guy who real more realistically gives you 
like exactly a hundred yards on 25 carries and maybe a touchdown or two, but the, the, the stuff of him just running wild and stomping on people, I'm not really expecting that. And I don't really think even, even with the, the, the Vikings beat up on defense and not that good on defense, I feel like Zimmer is capable of accounting for, for that one thing, but don't get me wrong. I'm not picking the Vikings, uh, but just as far as like the Titans being safe here, I, I definitely don't feel like they're safe. Okay. Uh, We'll have to keep an eye on their injury report a little bit, uh, not just for Johnny Smith, but Dennis Kelly had been missing practice with an illness. So, and Malcolm Butler is is Adoree Jackson back, or did they put him on like IR or something? I'm not certain when it he's comes not to on their Adore. injury report. So, if if if, if uh, Adoree Jackson is back, that would be good because if he's not on the field, Adam Thielen should be open quite a bit. Yes, let's talk, let's talk about that that Vikings offense because it has been horrible to this point i think no man it's rough (laughs) i think they've run the the least plays in the league so far it's brutal um like last week the the colts were without rocky asin and xavier rhodes was their top outside corner and after a good first drive or something like Thielen had like three catches for 36 i know i had him in DraftKings and i was like okay we're in gear yeah, that was like the first drive, I think. And then I think he must have gone another two quarters before he got his next catch. And Kirk mm. Cousins could not complete passes to anyone else. He can't complete passes to Justin Jefferson or Irv Smith or Kyle Rudolph, anybody. He can't do it. And I don't know how he got so bad. Uh, this, this is the worst he's ever been, yep. I think. And I, I just don't know what would change. And it's they're so profoundly dysfunctional that it's even making it harder on Dalvin Cook to look like himself. So... Uh, by the way, Adoree Jackson is out, so Thielen should be open all day. Like there, I don't, I don't know how they could possibly cover him. Uh, but that, you know, at least in the Colts case, you can th- say something like, "Well, they are supposed to be a good zone team, and if if you're short on personnel, then zone is how you, you know, bridge the gap, kind of that you lack at, at, in terms of co- coverage ability." But I don't know if I, I would expect the Titans to have as, as good of an acumen with that as Matt Aberflus and the Colts do. So I feel like Thielen bounces back. I just don't know if it really matters because even as a Tannehill skeptic, I feel like Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys should be able to get open against these Vikings corners who are A, not good, and B, are beat up. Like It looks like Cam Dantzler and Mike Hughes might both be out. So I don't know what's been wrong with Jeff Gladney. I feel like he's pretty clearly their best corner prospect but he hasn't been playing really so maybe he actually isn't good and maybe he'll be even more of a liability than Dantzler and Hughes who are both liabilities in the first place uh but yeah I I think the Titans will be fine I just I don't really I'm not optimistic for for big fantasy value in this game and if it is anybody I would guess Thielen I suppose yeah Thielen definitely has a really really good setup in this one um I will still lean with the Titans to get the win on the road here definitely um but uh yeah this this one could be ugly i would take the under yeah it's it's moved up from like 47 to 48 and a half that i don't understand yeah so maybe that's just thinking that the defenses could be bad enough yeah they're thinking they're looking at the injuries on the viking side it's like they're already bad it doesn't matter who their backups are they're they're there's not much distinction there yeah don't don't count it twice Before we get on to our next game, we got a message from our friends over at Prediction Strike. Prediction Strike is a fantasy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard someone say, I've had stock in this player since day one? Well, now Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes' rookie year? You knew this would happen? Now it's a reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. To get started, simply visit predictionstrike.com. 
Dot-com to create an account. Then deposit funds to buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players, just like you would real stocks. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time, as long as the player isn't currently in a game. Get started today by visiting PredictionStrike.com and sign up with code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 with your first deposit of $20 or more. Um, let's move on over to the Raiders going up against the Patriots. Uh, this one being in New England. Patriots six-point favorites in this one. The Raiders obviously 2-0. and Got this pretty surprising victory Monday night against the Saints, but I think that says more about the Saints than it does about the Raiders. Uh, the Patriots, yeah. I thought, looked really good um, despite uh, taking the loss against uh the oh, I'm sorry, the Seahawks on that oh, Sunday yeah. <laughs> night game. They, they looked they looked really good. I thought for the most part, and Cam Newton looks really really good. So if you were an, an investor in him during draft season, then things are obviously setting up really well for for your squad there. Um, but the rest of this Patriots offense, outside of Julian Edelman, kind of rough as far as fantasy is concerned. But uh, what are your thoughts on this game? I think that uh, I think that people are overlooking the Patriots at this point. Uh, I'm just looking at the spread. It opened at six and a half. It's down to six with the over-under going up a point. Most of the public being on the Raiders. I I think they're wrong. I think, I think the Raiders are a team that beat the Panthers, yes. And yes, it was a long way they traveled to beat them. But that's, that's the kind of game that I feel like only a – it only really showed that they're like a seven and nine – eight and eight kind of quality team at, at worst. Like that's the floor that they established. And I don't think they demonstrated any ceiling with it. And then going against the saints, I'm just chalking that one up to, to the, you know, September Sean Payton, who's always weird and drew Brees. Yes. I, I can see some legitimate long-term concerns there. Cause I do have some concerns with the structure of the saints offense, but the point is I'm not giving credit to the Raiders and going to Foxborough, even, even in this, you know, post Tom Brady, post dynasty situation we have with the Patriots. If you're going to Foxborough, you need to be good. And I don't think the Raiders are good. I think they're average at best. I, I think they're they're kind of like a seven and nine team, six and ten team to me. And the Patriots are more like a wild card kind. Of because I'm sorry, if Cam Newton is playing like he has the first two weeks, the Raiders can't compete in this game. I don't think Derek Carr is the kind of quarterback who can beat the the, the press man coverage of these corners. I don't think Ruggs. Uh, I, don't, I don't think Ruggs, Edwards, Renfro are the, the sort, at least in their current form, to threaten the defensive back personnel of the Patriots. Love Waller, of course, but he's going to get that Belichick bullseye. And if Jacobs can't just go wild on the ground as a runner, I just don't see where they go. And I, I feel like the Patriots, meanwhile, are going to kind of just throw the ball pretty well the whole game. So I think the Patriots get a lead. To whom, they though? They do. Just Edelman? Is Demir oh, Bird uh, on your radar? Sure, Edelman, Bird. Like I, I just Cam doing stuff. I don't know. I think I think I think Cam is playing at too high of a level for a defense like the Raiders to do anything about it. And yeah. I think being in Foxborough will help. And I think just as importantly, bring the worst out of Derek Carr. And I think if the worst that Carr get, like Carr has a way of either kind of just having a really good game or he has this scenario where it's like he's not finding anybody and he's checking down and he's checking down and then it gets later in the game and then he brings out his worst form. Like he, he, he kind of 
avoid some of those really bad meltdowns that more risk-prone quarterbacks get into because it's like he just folds in those situations until you know truly garbage time comes out and then he kind of you know maybe makes a toothless comeback kind of thing so maybe maybe he gets a backdoor cover that way but I don't think he can compete in this setting. I don't really think so either. So I got the Patriots in this one. Uh, let's get on to 49ers Giants. 49ers favored in this one by four points, despite it being in New York. Uh, Niners playing on the same exact field two weeks in a row, but a different opponent this time around uh, with, with it being the Giants, not the Jets. Uh, injuries have really, really worsened this Super Bowl hangover for the 49ers. I, I I had some concerns about the Niners coming into this season, but none of them were related to Nick Bosa going down and, and um, Jimmy Garoppolo getting hurt and and the running backs all getting dinged up, it seems Ford, like. Ford, George Kittle. Yeah, George uh, Kittle. Kittle's going to be back, I guess, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, but either way, man, th- this has just been um, – it couldn't be worse as far as the, the Niners go. Uh, costly win and then, of course, a divisional loss to, to get get the season started. They do have a get-right situation here against the Giants, and I think they did stay on the in the Eastern time zone, so they don't have to go back to the West Coast and then back to the East Coast again. Um, so that definitely helps matters a, at least a bit here. Um, Giants obviously very shiftless to to start the season don't, or directionless. Don't really know what uh, what's going on with them. So I, I like the Giants to win this one, but this is this you know as Vegas is kind of implying here with the forty-one and a half over under like this could be just kind of a gross game yeah i think i think the 49ers will be fine and i I know the four points on the road especially opening at six and a half points on the road that already says that so i'm I'm not adding anything new there but i i actually think jimmy garoppolo kind of just sucks at this point and i think mullins will either be no worse or better and maybe that's just a flippant thing to 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 throw out the way I am right now, but it's like, I'm just sick of Garoppolo, man. I'm, I'm sick of it. It's okay. I don't think he can throw to receivers. I think he's he's very dependent. It's like it's all the stuff that's true about Jared Goff, but he's just worse yet, in my opinion. Um, and if Kittle's out there, though, then uh, you know that that's that's something that helps um, even Garoppolo. And I think if you know, even if I'm right that Mullins is no worse. Uh, this is a spot that that Garoppolo would have been more or less fine into, and maybe Ayuk in his second game gets a little more traction. So I, th- I think that um, Bradbury is the only concerning part of the the Giants secondary, and I just don't think he even gets used well against an offense like the 49ers. Like you want James Bradbury to cover guys like Julio Jones or Mike Evans and stuff like that, but against Bryant, Brandon Ayuk, I don't even think Ayuk is that good. But I think that Bradbury matches up with him poorly enough that Ayuk could still beat him. And yet Ayuk might not even be on Bradbury. He might be getting uh, against Corey Ballantyne or whatever. So uh, I think, I think Ayuk, Trent Taylor, George Kittle, maybe Kendrick Bourne, I guess should all kind of have a, uh, not, not like a big game here, but like a, something to, to kind of build on, like some sort of, some sort of semblance of functionality that I just don't think Garoppolo has seen to, to this point. And uh, the giants suck. And I, th- I think Shanahan will outthink Joe judge and uh, whoever the defensive coordinator is. I, I think he'll, he'll have a good idea 
kind of like he did in week one. It's like he's and Jordan Reed, of course, it looks like an option, even if Kittle's a big part of the game plan. So I think the 49ers will be fine on offense against the defense like this. And then the extent of their defensive struggles, I mean, no Bosa, no Ford is a lot. Like that really hurts their pass rush quite a bit. But I also think that even without Sherman at corner, the only threat is Darius Slayton. And that's a considerable threat. But Fred Warner should be able to take care of Evan Ingram. And then Golden Tate, at this point, it's like, you know, you can give up catches to him. It's not a big deal. He's not going to beat you unless you really screw up, unless you tackle really poorly after his catches. Um, so I would just make it a priority to, to keep Slayton, keep, keep the ball away from Slayton if I'm the 49ers. And I think if they do that, everything else will work itself out in a, a pretty low stress sort of way. Okay. And then just looking at this game from a fantasy perspective, and I know you just mentioned uh, Slayton, but you know this is a game that has a lot of recent waiver wire action intrigue uh you know jarek mckinnon is someone who is a very big waiver wire target if he was still available in leagues this week and then of course with saquon barkley being out for the season a lot of people are going to have interest for better or for worse um in this giants backfield so how do you think that both of those uh, like hot button pickups uh, will function starting with with mckinnon maybe jeff wilson and then on the other side with the giants guys i have some trouble with jeff wilson because like he's 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 probably a skilled running back. Like he was always really productive at North Texas. Yep, and really left that, it all out on the field. <laughs> yes, uh, literally. <laughs> um, yeah, he was always really good at North Texas in a way that none of his teammates were. Like sometimes you look at a guy like him who's really productive in college, and a, you kind of worry if his teammates are also good because it shows you know system product basically. But he has skills, I think, because he was always productive in a way that none of his teammates could imitate. On the other hand, he's a below-average athlete pretty easily by NFL standards. Like he's, he's one of the worst running back athletes in the NFL. So considering that, and you know, I'm, I'm trying to consider his positives. You know, It's like he, he knows what he's doing. He knows the Shanahan playbook. Shanahan trusts him. He has for years. Uh, the Giants suck. There's all these things that are kind of in Wilson's favor, but I think it's all to do with structure. And all of those structural benefits also go to McKinnon. So... If I'm, I know McKinnon's not going to get like 15 carries and five catches, but I still think eight carries and three or four catches, or you know, 10 to 12 carries and, and something like that, he might be literally twice as productive on a per touch basis than Wilson. And so Wilson, even if he's the red zone, you know, goal line guy, I just, I just, I feel like it's it's the long odds for Wilson to be especially useful to anybody in this game and. Uh, I could, of course, be wrong because you know he gets if he gets two short yardage carries, if if Daniel Jones throws two or three interceptions, and and there's goal line carries to be had, I would guess Wilson gets them. But if if anyone scores from five yards or more out, I, I don't think it's Wilson. No, it, it should be McKinnon or you know one of the pass catchers, namely uh, George. I'm still Kittle. hoping they call up Hasty. That would be great. That would that that would definitely uh, change the dynamics here. I just, I hope none of them like truly go off because I have so much Mostert and so, so much like invested in, in Mostert uh, just crushing it the rest of the season. When whenever he gets back, um, they have the Mostert playbook though. It's like even if they do well, it's like his playbook is his. Yeah. And you know, but no one else is hitting those giant plays the way the way that he can. So um, he he's not going anywhere, even if McKinnon or uh, Wilson or, or even Hasty end oh, up. Sorry doing well. to, to actually answer your question. I don't want anything to do with any of the Giants' backs. Correct. If, if Freeman 
if Freeman like two or three weeks from now is not useful i don't think anyone will be useful in this backfield the rest of the year i love that yeah very succinct and it, and it makes all the sense in the world yeah it's either freeman or nothing um and freeman probably not happening this week at the very least let's get on over to the Bengals versus the eagles eagles panic mode baby i mean what is going on there it's it's been a very very rough start to the season for them a lot of flaws being uh exposed offensive line has looked terrible uh the receivers unfortunately kind of getting the same sort of just what what can go wrong will go wrong murphy's law type of thing getting applied to their receiving core uh jalen rager tearing the ucl in his thumb um other injuries around there it's just it's been really really tough for the eagles thus far i know the Bengals should present a a get right type of situation here but i still have uh, concerns about this eagles team moving forward even if they take care of business this weekend like i expect them to yeah definitely i I i'm not really like a, a carson wentz critic or anything but i'm also not really willing to defend him at this point i'm kind of losing uh, viable explanations, viable excuses for his problems. Like last year, I thought it was, you know, like Dak Prescott a couple of years ago when Dallas had their offensive line fall apart, like he got the yips and he, he started to look kind of like terminally bad. And a lot of people came out, you know, just banging the drum, like he sucks. We knew it. And um, that faded away immediately when they traded for Amari Cooper. Right. And ever since then, it's just been like, no, none of those people want to run their mouths anymore for some reason. But I, I'm more of a Dak fan than I am a Carson Wentz fan, so I'm not able to work up that level of optimism in this case, and especially when he's had reps where Jalen Rager and Deshaun Jackson and Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard were all on the field, Miles Sanders this last week. So I'm not going to say that that was an easy matchup going against the Rams because by most indications, it wasn't. It was probably a pretty tough matchup for him. But I still expected better. And especially with Deshaun Jackson, like Deshaun Jackson's getting the air yardage and he's getting thrown to, and like none of it's landing. And that at least was supposed to be the one thing we could count on. We were supposed to be able to say, yeah, he's probably going to get hurt. But if Deshaun Jackson is on the field, that's one guy that Carson Wentz knows how to throw the ball to. And it seems like that is off the table, you know, for the time being anyway. So I'm not really, I, I think that, I think that Wentz is still a pretty good, starting quarterback like I don't know if he's above average but I think he's good enough to be your starter I just don't know if if he's in a particularly good place right now and the Bengals defense is probably bad in the the ground game and like Miles Sanders should set up pretty good in this game especially if Geno Atkins is still out but um you know if 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 Geno Atkins comes back that could change in a hurry and uh but if Gino's out then I think Philadelphia should be able to run the ball I feel like those tight ends should be able to get open on those linebackers pretty much constantly so I'm not expecting a big game from Deshaun or Hightower or Deontay Burnett Greg Ward whoever especially not Greg Ward but I think that uh Wentz should kind of like get by with the win here Miles Sanders does good at least one of Ertz or Goddard does good but they do have to take that – they have to get rid of the ball quick because that Cincinnati uh, personnel on the edge can definitely give Wentz some problems. They can bring the yips out of him. If, if Hubbard and Dunlap and Carl Lawson are, are getting shots at him, that's a way for the game to go badly quickly for, for the Eagles. Um, and on the other side, like, I mean, part of why I'm a little worried for the Eagles is that I feel like Cincinnati has a couple advantages here in the passing game. 
like if, if they if the Eagles have Avante Maddox on the field at corner playing outside corner which was an insane idea in the first place. I just, I, I didn't take that seriously as a possible. I was like, oh yeah, they signed Nikel Roby Coleman. So now Avante Maddox is going to be their backup slot corner, which is fine. And they were like, actually he's going to be our starter. And that's insane. He should, he's a slot corner. He's five, nine. He can't really deal with what, what comes with playing outside. And he especially cannot deal with AJ green or T Higgins. Uh, Maddox is like five, nine, one eighty. He's not blazing fast or anything. So he's, he's not like a Brandon Flowers, Jason Verrett, 5'9". Like he, he needs to be in the slot. And it's because guys like A.J. Green and T, and, uh, and Hilton – or sorry, T. Higgins are going to just – they're just going to put their hand on his helmet and push down. And with their other hand, they're going to reach up in the air and grab the ball and put him on their back like a backpack and walk into the end zone. <laughs> and I think it's not obvious whether it will be Green. Well, at first I should say – it wouldn't surprise me if they just bench Maddox. Like it wouldn't be surprise me if we come out this game and a Trevor Williams or whoever is starting at corner opposite Darius Slay because they they're going to bench Maddox. It's going to happen. The question is whether they do it before this game. And if they don't do it before this game, whoever's on him is automatic. Like there's just no question. They, I don't think there's any kind of safety look you can give to help Maddox enough against receivers like Higgins and Green. So that pass rush is going to keep hitting Burroughs and Burroughs could just kind of have a bad game for his own part. But that one receiver on Maddox is always going to be open. Okay. That's important to note. Uh, we'll see who that ends up being. Uh, but yeah, that, that's definitely a potential leak in that Eagle secondary. And you know that the Bengals are going to be throwing it a lot. Um, what do you make of Mixon here? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't like the matchup. I know that, but I, I remember last year when Mixon kind of had a similar start to the season. He It wasn't until like the second half of the year, if I remember right, but he started Correct. having big games running, and it wasn't because he had an obviously good matchup or anything. It was just like he, he started just putting up better numbers, and I don't know what changed in that case. I don't know what we need to change in this case to have a similar result. I'm kind of at a loss with it. I, I don't. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me what's already happened, so I have trouble figuring out what, what needs to happen next. But I still believe in Mixon as a talent, but I'm kind of, I guess, reaching the compromised conclusion that he's only good if he has space, and the space might not be there anytime soon. I, yep, I'm starting to I'm starting to get there as well. So I, I'm I don't I'm not heavy on the Mixon portfolio this year, but where I do have him is leagues I care a lot about, and. Uh, not not feeling too great about it at this stage. I think stage. you got to leave them in, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah. There's some exceptions. But. Yeah, but I I still feel like it's going to be hard for him to return anywhere close, or not anywhere close, but but um, where you got him versus where he ends up this season, I think will will be two different places for sure. Um, let's move on over to the Texans versus the Steelers. Steelers four point favorites in this one. Texans. I mean that I don't know what they did to the schedule makers but that's just not right what they've done to the texans i mean starting them as the you know sacrificial lamb in week one to the super bowl champs and then week two against the ravens going to pittsburgh for week three i mean goodness i mean that if they if they come out of that one and two i will be surprised and i would have said that before the season as well um but this one i think the steelers should be able to take care of business in this one i, I know they didn't really finish great again against the broncos last week or anything like that but um what do you make of this game this one's an interesting betting pattern because it opened at 
Pittsburgh favored by six, 45 over under. Pittsburgh is only favored by four now with most of the public, 58%, on the on the Steelers, and the over-under has stayed at 45. So, um, you know, sharp money loses sometimes, but it's it's definitely worth thinking about why they're moving this way that they are. And the only reason I can come up with is that they have concluded that the Steelers' offense is not quite right. And I think that checks out because – I know they've had good results so far. Uh, I know against you know the Giants, Ben Roethlisberger had just pretty solid numbers, and then uh, against the against the Broncos too, he had solid numbers. But when you look at things that like where he's completing his passes, and when you adjust for the uh, currents like the Chase Claypool long touchdown, like once you once you don't have plays like that happening, and you regress toward the mean. I feel like the mean might be lower than people are assuming and taking for granted with the Steelers because Juju Smith-Schuster's not really getting downfield targets at uh, all. It's, it's a small sample, so this stuff can really change quickly, of course. Uh, but it, it was basically those two touchdowns in week one, and then last week they were just checking down a bunch, even though he was mostly running his routes against uh, that Wake Forest nickel corner who went undrafted this year. Uh, he's saying something or other. Oh, man, um, even even that so one's out of my that. pay grade. <laughs> Yeah, so, so like Fangio can kind of just leave a quarterback in tough spots. So it's especially in Denver, you know, things get weird there. So maybe maybe that's or, or wait, no, it was no, it was in Pittsburgh. So I don't. It was not an excuse. Um, my bad. So uh, I think that you look at those peripherals basically, and you you kind of have concerning BABIP numbers because it's like, yeah, we're we're uh, you know we're scoring twenty eight points a game or whatever. We're doing fine. And it's like, yeah, but how are you gonna? You're not going to keep doing that unless you have something to offset the regression from the Claypool play that probably only happens once or twice a year, you know? And right now, Ben Roethlisberger has been really dependent on checking down to Deontay Johnson. And the Deontay Johnson super fans are just absolutely crack high right now. Yeah, they're having they never, a wonderful time. And it's like. They have never been this euphoric about any aspect of their lives. And they're just. Their eyes are so red right now. But, and I get it. But you look at the quality of those targets and the nature of them, and you look at the plays themselves, and, and yeah, I know like they're talking. Deontay Johnson's forcing all these missed tackles, and it's like he's he's making some plays. I'll give him that, but he's making like the best plays that he can, and this is not this does not look like the high range outcomes that I want from a player. Like if this is the best that he can do, then I'm worried about what most days and certainly the rainy days, what they'll look like. So if that Claypool pass never happens, we have a very different idea of who Ben Roethlisberger is going into this game. And if Deontay Johnson can't keep uh, taking on the leading burden of targets on these outside check down plays where he makes one guy miss and then miss, miss and then runs for another six yards before he's caught because he's slow like that kind of stuff i think is going the ball's going to start bouncing against their favor a little bit and they need to get juju going or they need to make claypool or washington get going more consistently and i don't know if roethlisberger can actually do it like i I think he can but in the meantime we don't have proof so maybe that spread decreasing is just kind of uh the suspicion by some moneyed interest that roethlisberger is not actually that great and they won't actually throw the ball that well in this game, and therefore Pittsburgh will struggle to get a full touchdown lead. So uh, with that said, I don't really want to take any Texans' interests either because like, I love Deshaun Watson, but I think he's playing with one hand behind his back. Um, will Fuller, 
I mean, what you want to do if you're Bill O'Brien in this game is you want to make Pittsburgh pay for blitzing Mike Hilton so much from the slot. They do this thing over and over where they blitz Hilton from the slot and then the, the safety over the top comes in to do the slot coverage. And, and the quarterbacks aren't ready for it. They, sh- they, sh- they should take that shot at that safety, but they're kind of surprised by the look of it and it comes up on them so fast and they're like, oh my God, where's CJ Watt too? I'm so scared. And they, they don't really keep their composure. But if you just put Will Fuller in the slot and you have Hilton coming off the blitz and Fitzpatrick or Edmonds, whoever it is, creeps up to try to go to Fuller, just do a pump fake and then go deep to Fuller. That safety can't do it. Like No safety can do that. So I think there's a play there if they set it up right. But um, short of that, the Steelers' defense is what it is. It's, it's always going to cause pressure. It's always going to hit hard. It's always going to twist your ankles in the pile. It's always going to gouge your eyes. And I don't know if... <laughs> The, I don't know if the Texans' offense really has any firepower to threaten them. It would need to be Roethlisberger falling apart on the other side for, for the Texans to have a shot at this because I, I don't think they can run on the Steelers' defense at all either. Yeah, no, they're going to have – everyone's going to have struggles on the ground against Pittsburgh this year. Texans obviously uh, will as well. So I, I do still have – like a shred of optimism for David Johnson in season long, but definitely not this week. I think it's going to be split tough. Him out for him. Wide. Get him running against those inside linebackers. Both Bush and Vince Williams are kind of quite, especially Williams. Williams just cannot cover. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, they got to do stuff like that because the Steelers right now are playing in their mode. They're setting the tone to their liking, and if you if you go into the the game on their on their terms, it's you just don't really have much of a shot. Yeah, it's, it's very similar to last year. The only difference being that, you know, instead of Duck Hodges or Mason Rudolph, it's late stage Ben Roethlisberger. So it's not like he's he's crushing it. Like you said, if if uh, if Claypool doesn't bring the, bring in that 80 plus yard touchdown, uh, we have a very different perspective on what those passing game statistics look like for Pittsburgh and, and the explosiveness uh, might be a little bit of a misnomer there. Um, but yeah, Pitt, Pittsburgh definitely like a defense first uh, outfit, at least right now. And then I, I guess my, my last thing on, on Deontay Johnson and, and, the, and the receiving core. Like you said, it's been uh, a big start to the season for for the Deontay guys, respect. Um, But the catch rate, 58%. um, Yards per target, 6.5. That's really bad. Um, High drop rate. Average depth of target, just 7.3. So like you said, if he's not making that first guy miss, then he's not – downfield far enough to have very impactful receptions on on like a per target basis Um, and then uh, James Washington seems to be a little bit at risk of of Claypool taking him over at least that's kind of my my thought right now I don't know if it ends up panning out one way or the other but if you're if you're having concern about any of these Pittsburgh receivers I think it's probably James Washington yeah, uh, I think just as much Washington precludes a Claypool breakout. Like, I, I think if Washington's on the field, then Claypool just doesn't have that much room left. And and but if, if Claypool's if crushing hurt, it, though, if Claypool's crushing it every time that he's out there, and Washington less so, and Washington's a dot has like fine though, and he he did really good last year. So it's like Claypool can make that play that he made last week, but it's like those situations don't happen that much, and. In the meantime, I think he's basically going to split snaps with – like I, I don't think they're going to make a scratch out of Washington, and I think that's basically what they need to do. If, and But don't get me wrong. If Washington were hurt or something, then Claypool would have pretty clear runway really. And then I guess overall theme here, just, just kind of combing through these uh, Pittsburgh receivers and their, um, their advanced statistics, none of them – none of the receivers have an A dot 
north of 8.9. James Washington, the furthest one, and that's still a far cry from where he was running uh, last year, where he was right. getting you know like 14 yards downfield or something per target or something like that. So 15.2 was his A dot a year ago. It's 8.9 now. So the, this is completely checked down central here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think that part of it is the defenses are respecting that deep threat from Pittsburgh. Like, I don't think it's just that Roethlisberger can't throw downfield. So there's going to be some sort of adjustment and some sort of counter adjustment, and it'll look a little bit different. And maybe after that, we'll have more of our long term look, a better idea of how things will will look over a longer stretch. But um, in the meantime, I I just don't. I don't know. It's like there's nothing scary to me about the Texans defense. So if Roethlisberger can't get it going here, I'll be a little concerned. But they have every matchup advantage possible. Basically, there's there's no good excuse for Roethlisberger uh, having a dud here. Okay, good good way of framing it there. All right, we're, let's get on to the afternoon window and and, and uh, let's go a little bit more rapid fire here. Uh, Indianapolis eleven and a half point favorites against the Jets. I can't trust Philip Rivers with that many points, uh, but I also hate backing the Jets, so I don't really know what to do here. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on this game? Um, it looks like there's going to be a lot of Colts chalk this week, including Mo Alley Cox, which I did not. I, I was a fan, but I didn't see that coming a week ago. Um, should be a good game for Taylor. Should be a fine game for. I don't know, Mo Ali Cox or somebody, but I actually like T.Y. Hilton in the spot. He said he, he disappointed his grandma and he loves his grandma, so she's got to. He's going to put on for the grandma. For grandma. These, these Jets corners can't cover him, so I, I say, why not here? Why not this game? But uh, I, I think everybody's saying in the fantasy industry, like, never pick a Jet. I feel like that's irresponsible advice in the case of PPR leagues with Chris Herndon because. Like we either very specifically need to predict that every game of Sam Darnold's will look like last week, which it won't. Chris Herndon has seen his two toughest defensive matchups of the year between the Bills and Fred Warner. Those are the last two defenses you want to see as a tight end. So uh, Herndon will either catch 80 passes this year or Sam Darnold will complete like 110. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So like the, Something has to give. You can't just throw incomplete passes and take a sack on every single play. And in between those occurrences, Chris Herndon's catching a six-yard pass. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, it can't be a complete fade of this offense. The, the ball has to go uh, somewhere. Um, I don't know if you— Well, you can fade it. It's just like—it's to say, like, there is nothing useful here is, is too much because Herndon and PPR will at least get garbage time catches— every time he's not playing the Bills or Fred Warner. Okay. All right. So that, that definitely adds up. Uh, let's move on over to the Panthers going up against the Chargers. Panthers not looking great so far, and they, they this is the non-Christian McCaffrey part of their season. They're going up against the Chargers, who um, they, they remind me of – you know that gif of the guy trying to carry a bunch of stuff out to his car and then he just like you know falls and drops it all over the hood of the car and there's water and soap spilling everywhere that's kind of what the chargers remind me of right now uh the the story about their medical staff that that came out wednesday from adam Schefter was uh horrible (laughs) like i I don't really know what's gonna end up happening with that off the field but Seems like it's going to be a Justin Herbert week again. The Chargers did, you know, perform ably against the Chiefs last week, so they should be able to get this one. They are favored by by close to a touchdown. I think that says more about the Panthers than the Chargers. Yeah. But um, what do you think of this one? I kind of like the Chargers to cover because I hate pretty much everything that the Panthers are doing from every perspective. I, I just I, I think they're doing everything wrong. I think they have some nice players and. 
especially Robbie Anderson is the type of receiver who should be able to beat corners like this. But I don't know if he's going to have time to run his routes with uh, the Carolina offensive line isn't that great. Teddy Bridgewater, of course, uh, not a threatening quarterback. And that Chargers pass rush is, I mean, not that this is surprising to anyone, but it's a problem. Like if Bosa, Ingram, and, and Linval Joseph was probably an underappreciated addition to that off uh, that defensive line, he's a problem. And I think all those guys could 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 cause some damage here. And if, if Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore aren't getting into their routes, it's just a collapse scenario. And in the meantime, it doesn't look like the Chargers are particularly bad against the run or anything. So I don't know why Mike Davis or whoever else uh, would get much going. So, yeah, I like the Herbert, Eckler, Kelly, uh, Wishbone offense to kind of just put a stranglehold on the Panthers from the start. And, you know, maybe they don't get much going right away, but eventually they're going to start bruising them and, and wearing them out and breaking some big runs, I think. Yeah, that 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 rushing attack in, in L.A. could be pretty nasty between Eckler and Kelly really looks like it, uh, that's going to be one of the best, like, you know, return on value uh, early season pickups or, or just a really nice uh, draft pick uh, by the Chargers. Um, let's... Uh, anything else to talk about when it comes to this Chargers like passing game? Do you think they take a step forward here with, with Herbert? Uh, you know, when it comes to Mike Williams or, or Keenan Allen, anything like that? I think it's more of a Keenan and Henry kind of game. Mike Williams could have had a touchdown against Tyron Matthew last week, but uh, I just, I, he should be able to beat these guys. But Russell Douglas and uh, the other guy, uh, Troy Pride, are probably better built to stop to, to slow him than the inside corner is Keenan Allen. So I feel like Keenan Allen, you know, if, if he's got the easier matchup between himself and Williams, it, it's hard for any receiver to, to keep up with Allen in that case. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Let's get on over. We got the Lions going up against the Cardinals. Lions, pretty uh, tough start to the season here as well. Um, Cardinals, kind of one of the early season darlings i think you could say you know they, they beat the 49ers and then uh looked good against washington kyler murray uh living up to the hype you it's know all it, kyler yeah he's yeah. he's ridiculous um i think that that's not going anywhere uh they are five and a half point favorites in this one i think they could potentially you know run the lions out of the gym if, if the lions are going to keep playing like this i don't know what do you think yeah it looks like uh christian kirk might be out with a groin injury so it should be another big game uh, either way it should have been another big game for deandre hopkins uh, i guess Fitz should be somewhat busy as well given that uh, the arizona running game could go wild I, I guess there's a there's a there's a few ways arizona could beat them on offense and then as far as their defense versus the lions uh galladay is back right so he's he's still questionable oh, at least on okay. the on the injury report but you know we'll, we'll know more by friday all right. Well, if Galladay's back, then that certainly helps, and it kind of like neutralizes slash puts at risk Patrick Peterson, who probably slight underdog to a player of Galladay's caliber at this point. Uh, free up Marvin Jones to get some easier looks, and uh, Quintus Cephas Hawkinson. They can they can pose threats too. So um, I don't think Arizona is going to like blow them away or anything. I, I also expect DeAndre Swift to start getting going here pretty quick because. Uh, Patricia is basically sabotaging him, but um, I just if, if you're getting the ball to DeAndre Swift, I don't think like at some point I don't think you can do anything more to sabotage him. It's like he's he's just going to start missing some tackles eventually, and in a, in a game like this, why not hear an up tempo kind of uh, a setting that could turn up tempo shootout like early on? Um, so yeah, I think that I think the Lions 
you know, maybe I don't want that five and a half, but I, I, I like, you know, Arizona's usual suspects to roll. I like that too. Uh, let's get on Broncos, Bucks, Broncos. I mean, just the walking wounded right now between the Drew Locke injury and Philip Lindsay dinged up, Cortland Sutton being out. Uh, that that really makes it tough here. So, the, you know, I think they brought in Blake Bortles this week. They got Jeff Driscoll back there going up against the Bucks. Bucks, six point favorites on the road here. It is Denver early in the season. That's a lot to cover. Um, the, the Broncos defense still, I think, relatively talented and, and playing pretty well, uh, especially under Vic Fangio. This is a really, really tough one for, for me to figure out. What do you think? Well, I do like KJ Hamler quite a bit as a prospect. Like I mentioned earlier, he's 3000 on DraftKings, So I'm going to have to seriously consider that. I, I know that I like Tampa's three corners as much as anybody, but they're more built to, to go off against like six, one, six, two, six, three sort of receivers, like all of Jamel Dean, uh, especially Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis, they're, they're bigger corners. And then Sean Murphy bunting is like the skinny one at just like six foot one ninety five or something, which is, which is still probably a little bigger than average for, for corners. So KJ Handler being five, nine, one eighty, and, and blurry fast, I think he can beat those corners because th- he's just the last kind of receiver that they really want to cover. Mm-hmm. And uh, the air yardage, the after the catchability, it all checks out. I don't think Driscoll is worse than Locke. Uh, I could be wrong. Could be very wrong. But, uh, yeah, with Tampa going into Denver, six points strikes me as a lot. So um, I-, I don't know who to, who has – I mean, I guess it's Mike Evans basically because he can just kind of box out the 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 Fangio defensive backs like I think they're going to be on him because Fangio has a way of coming up with good plans but uh, Evans is just going to kind of have to go uh, Hulk on them I think because uh, it's hard to see the tight ends getting a ton going it's it's hard to see any of the secondary Buccaneers receivers and I'm not exactly a Fournette fan so I, I don't really see him as a savior opportunity Tom Brady is not that good anymore so if he's not getting help I think he could kind of look worse than people expect so. I guess I like Denver to cover if it's six points, but uh, I don't think anything particularly pretty happens here. Interesting, interesting. Um, we, we started the show and we talked a little bit about Hamler, like you said. I want to talk about Jerry Judy for a second. Uh, you know, coming out, we all we all said it to, to varying degrees. You know, like the most polished prospect in, in this class. You know, like can't fail. But um, you know, and he, he's he's made some plays to, to be sure. And and two games is. I'm not even suggesting that that he's going to be anything less than very good, but I did not see the drops coming like this. Like that, I don't really remember them being this big of a problem at Alabama. But there have been a couple of times anecdotally where he's just like he's either seen the footstep or heard the footsteps coming, or or like turned around before he secured the ball or whatever it was. But four drops on 15 targets, kind of ridiculous, and and catching only eight out of 15 targets overall is. I'm very surprised by that. Yeah, I guess the way I see it is, like, I still think he's good. What I, th- what I think the issue is here that um, basically playing in that Alabama, Tua, uh, Ruggs, Judy, Devontae, Waddle offense, you never actually learned how to play receiver. Like, you, you just had it so easy, and, and you dominated all your opponents so much that you never had exposure to just kind of, like, the stress environments that most other receivers do. And in this case... It's the question of, well, what do you do if you're not, you know, wide the hell open and with a quarterback who puts it perfectly on the spot where right in your stride and in this scheme where you got, you know, the 
these all-stars all around you. And I, th- I think we're just seeing Jerry Judy hit a stretch where he's needing to develop this skill set that he never did before. Like he's needing to learn how to deal with adversity and specifically with contact and, you know, the, the brutality of the NFL. And I feel like once he gets more exposure to it, he'll have his own counter adjustments to it and, and he'll he'll kind of find his way through. But yeah, right now it's it's not really going. And I think his matchup with Murphy Bunting in mostly the slot where I, I think Murphy Bunting is, is pretty much a worst case kind of matchup for Judy. That's part of why I like Hamler this week, especially in you know tournament settings. Uh, I, although I guess even in cash games at three thousand, I mean, who cares? Um, so uh, part of that is like I think there's a funnel toward him. If if Murphy Bunting is the perfect matchup for Jerry Judy, and if Jerry Judy continues to struggle irrespective of his matchup, then there might be a funnel toward uh, Hamler and I guess Noah Fant too. So I think those two are the are the best bets to produce as pass catchers in this game for for the for the Broncos. Not that that's uh, you know that that's a very conditional sort of uh, distinction there. It's not it's not a good thing in a vacuum necessarily because they they could have a Driscoll could throw for like 160 yards or something. Right. Yeah. So taking that with with a grain of salt, but you know there there have been uh, some instances of Drew Locke not not looking great necessarily either. So maybe the drop off won't be. I think Driscoll's severe. fine. Honestly, I think he's actually just. He t- he chucks it, you know. He's, he doesn't play like a coward. Not that Locke does either, but it's like that's the worst thing is when a quarterback is afraid to throw it. And Driscoll's gonna chuck it at least. Yes, so that that at least is good, and, and hopefully uh, Hamler will be able to to uh, see some of those targets deeper down the field. All right, we got three games left. They're all pretty good matchups. We got Cowboys going to this going to Seattle to face the Seahawks. Seahawks look really really good. Uh, Cowboys needed sort of a. Well, they needed the, a classic Atlanta collapse, and they got it um, last week to to pull off that that comeback against the Falcons at home. That wasn't even a classic, you know. That was the best of all time. That was that's that's like a new category entirely. Teaching your hands team to not touch the ball. Yeah, that was wow. Yeah, that was wow. <laughs> so that's amazing. So uh, you know, cr- credit to. Um, Dan Quinn. Yeah, Dan Quinn can win. Uh, But without Dan Quinn intervening, I think Dallas loses this one. Uh, Seattle, yeah. If if Seattle's throwing the ball early and they're not voluntarily leaving themselves at risk for early deficits, then their probability of losing, especially against a defense like Dallas's, just doesn't seem significant to me. Like it. They would their defense would need injuries or something. I will say, Ceedee Lamb could be a problem for for Seattle. They lost their nickel guy in that last game. Uh, Marquise Blair and last year with the slot was where they were getting killed they were getting killed at Trey Flowers spot in the slot Quinton Dunbar has plugged the leak where Trey Flowers used to be but the slot could be a problem without Blair CeeDee Lamb is not the kind of guy you want to have running against your problem spot so if Dallas gets going I guess it's going to be that but it's like what punch can Dallas throw that Seattle can't match several times over I can't think of anything nope so I, I think I think Seattle might you know come out of the NFC and I, I think that they're that good and Dallas um, as electric as they are on offense and and more power to them that the defense I think is going to be a problem over the course of the entire season and the offensive line I don't know if the the Seahawks are going to be able to exploit that necessarily Um, I guess that's good timing for Dallas the Seattle defensive line is one of the worst in the league so uh, Dak should be clean it's just like you need Russell Wilson to have a turnover that Dak doesn't throw in his own part, and I, it seems like it's asking a lot in Seattle. Yeah, Russell Wilson, especially like in Seattle, is just in 
you know, he's in God mode right now. It's pretty crazy to watch him right now. Um, let's get on over Sunday night game, Packers, Saints, injuries to the to the big headliners at receiver you know with, with Devonte adams and, and of course michael thomas as well i think adams has the better chance of suiting up in this one of course um this one in new orleans saints three-point favorites in this one what are your thoughts i'm kind of worried for aaron Rodgers and the green bay offense just because uh Rodgers has been awesome in these first two weeks but i feel like this is a tough setting going to new orleans in a primetime game and uh, Marshawn Lattimore is probably going to shadow Devontae Adams if Adams is out there. And I, I, I think Lattimore is very good. I, I can't tell how everyone else evaluates him at this point. But um, I guess Marcus Valdez-Scantling should continue to be uh, in a good spot here. Like He'll be running against Janoris Jenkins, who even at his best, he might have struggled to deal with a 6'4 kind of receiver with the reach that Valdez-Scantling has. So if they send him over the top, there might just be Marcus Williams waiting for him. They, they, probably, they probably anticipate the downfield threat posed by Valdez Scantling. But uh, if it's just Jenkins, if they screw up and just leave Jenkins on him, he should be able to get up over Jenkins or even just run past him. So there's, there's something there, um, but uh, they they need, they need to figure out how they're going to make basically the plays that Aaron Jones did last week, because they can't expect Aaron Jones to do stuff like that every week. Uh, Jamal Williams is not a serious NFL running back in my opinion. So I think the green Bay offense might kind of take some punches in this one. And as much as I think they they have a viable means of winning, it probably has more to do with uh, how I'm still low on Drew Brees on the other side. And that's not just Michael Thomas being out. That's that's that I think they've made things harder on themselves by having no downfield speed threat. And they won't have it in this game either. Like Jared Cook is their downfield speed threat. So if you know that and you're the opposing defensive coordinator – You'd be crazy to keep your safeties back. You'd pull your safeties up because you make it harder on the run game categorically. And there's not much chance that Breeze will make you pay for it. It's like, what is he going to do? Get the same eight-yard completion that he was going to do anyway? It's like, there's no reason to keep the safeties back. So I think it's going to keep being tough on Breeze, especially because uh, Green Bay's got two good-looking corners, not just Jair Alexander, who's who's awesome, but Chandon Sullivan looks really good in the slot. Kevin King still sucks. I don't know why they even play him, but um, they, they seem to be giving him enough help or whatever, and I think it's looking like another rough game for Breeze. Yeah, so I the over-under here at 52.5, I am kind of like tempted on, on the under in this one. I think the defenses could kind of rule the day here, um, especially if, if Adams kind of gets removed from the equation for Green Bay, and then, of course, the Saints uh, really tough against the run to at least start the year giving up just 3.3 yards per carry so maybe maybe that uh, causes some problems for Aaron Jones and keeps this score down overall and, and like you said here with, with, with the Saints and their offense and Drew Brees and how he looks especially without Michael Thomas um, not the same offense that it was uh, in 2018 or 2019 uh, let's finish it out we got Chiefs going to Baltimore to face the Ravens uh, this is yeah I'm I've been looking forward to this game for a long time uh the fact that it's a Monday nighter, all the more electric. Um, this this should be great. I know the Chiefs aren't coming off their best performance. The Ravens coming off of a, of a pretty easy game in Houston this past week. Um, what do you make of this matchup, Baltimore th- minus three and a half? Yeah, maybe the Chiefs were looking ahead a little bit last week. You can imagine Andy Reid saving some tricks for this one. Uh, I I don't know what I think of the Baltimore defense exactly. Like they're. They're good. We knew that, but I can't tell if they're the kind of defense that I would fear, especially 
you know, when, when you're talking to a quarterback as good as Mahomes, but the Chargers have given Mahomes something to fear. And I think that the Ravens are probably a better defense, not the, not strong in the same spots, the no. same way, but in terms of the sum of their parts, I kind of fear the Ravens defense more, especially in Baltimore. So I think that uh, it looks like Travarius Ward will be back for the Chiefs, and he's a big upgrade at corner over uh, whoever the hell they had in his place last <laughs> week. Um, but he's he's the kind of guy who I think will basically remove Boykin from the game if he's in the field. Uh, that's not the big problem, of course, when you're going against the Ravens and Marquise Brown. It's going to have some kind of combo of like Tyron Matthew when he's inside, and then Juan Thornhill. I think it's just going to like double him every single play, and. Uh, I don't know what that means exactly. Like, I, I, if they do that, I think they'll be at profound risk for some kind of rushing misdirection. Like, you can't put two guys following one guy without leaving a, like a gap unaccounted for eventually. And if they do that too many times, and if the Ravens find a way to key on it, then you might see the Ravens' rushing game just all of a sudden go in this unstoppable kind of mode. And if if the Chiefs are defending the run then it seems like they have to be leaving up one of those gaps in coverage to either Brown or Mark Andrews. So uh, I think those two conditions, at least one of those conditions, will always exist in this setting. And in that case, it ju- you just need Lamar to not have a bad game. And that could happen, but it could happen to any quarterback, and I don't particularly want to bet it with a player as good as him. So um, I guess I picked the Ravens to win. I, th- I think the Ravens are just the better team. I, you know, I... I'm not totally sure how how I think this one's going to go. And, you know, like the song remains the same. Like if the Chiefs, like if Mahomes is on, I don't think the Chiefs lose. That's just kind of like how it goes. And again, like you said, if the Ravens are, are rolling on offense, that that is also very, very tough to stop. I mean, I think they've won like 16 straight um, regular season games or something, or not 16, 14 maybe, um, a lot, a lot. They, they haven't lost in the regular season since last September um, at home against the Browns. Um, that was the week after they lost to the Chiefs, but that was in Arrowhead. Um, I, I think you have it You have it lined up right where the, the Chiefs have the ability to take away one of those matchups but when you're going up against the Ravens they can do kind of two things on on any one given play so um they they play to the to the strength of whatever the situation provides him and I think that uh in this case going up against the Chiefs defense I think that the Ravens should be able to do it um it'll be interesting to see if that third option in the passing game is able to emerge like you said maybe some some doubt that uh Boykin or of course like a Willie Sneed or or something like that would be the one to uh to really be the difference maker in this one outside of Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown we'll have to see but it will be interesting to see as far as like the the usage tree as far as that that is concerned but uh either way i imagine this game lives up to the hype i I love it when mahomes and jackson uh are going at it this is the third time that they've done it in the last three years so i think this is this is going to be one of the better regular season games i do think it ends up living up to the hype we'll see uh who ends up coming out on top but anyway, that's going to wrap things up for us here on the Thursday Rotowire NFL podcast. Tune back in on Friday for Andrew Laird and Scott Jenstad as they break down the DFS slate on the Friday Rotowire NFL podcast. Thanks for listening.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.